0: Welcome to OncoPharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, the Bill Gadden ETSU College of Pharmacy. It is December 19th. It's come out in a few days on the uh, usual podcast feed channels, wherever you get this podcast. I'm going to talk about Project Renewal today. So, Project Renewal is uh, the FDA calls it a pilot program to, quote, keep older, commonly prescribed oncology drugs. Uh, labeling up to date, unquote. This is the first drug tackled by Project Renewal. Now, Zolota, capecitabine, doesn't seem to be an old drug to me, um, but it is, you know, it's it's been around for decades and is a really commonly used drug, a lot of different malignancies. And when that happens, especially once a drug goes off patent and it's usually made by uh, generic pharmaceutical companies uh, they don't necessarily have a financial incentive to submit new data to the FDA to update, um, to you know, to update a uh, a toxicity, a post marketing study, or to uh, like in the case of, of cisplatin get a, a labeled indication for cervical cancer or something like that. They don't need to, uh, you know. So in in some ways, the the label, the FDA approved prescribing information, you know, kind of sets the legal standard. Um, And if you're going to go against the legal standard, say to prescribe a different dose or to to give a drug in a a patient population that the label says not to give to or something like that, you have to have really strong evidence to back that up. Uh, And and we have that for many indications and many scenarios. And we have lots of data to use certain drugs in certain ways. Um, even though the the label may be a warning or have a warning statement about something about, you know, use caution as patient population just because when the label was first written, we didn't have that information. And if the label hasn't been updated and we have new information, it can be very misleading to new clinicians or people or even the the public who go to the label because it's a free open access resource, whereas other um, oncology resources cost money. Uh, and that can create some disparities in what people have. And, and one of the big things uh, that I, I try to discuss on this podcast or the impetus for the podcast is there's a lot of, uh, like in baseball, unwritten rules of oncology that are not in the label. So so kudos to the FDA for going back and updating these things. This is the first drug that they've had. You know, you'd love to have some more information in the cisplatin label about how to prevent nephrotoxicity that is practical for what we do in in clinics. Same thing with doxrubicin and things like that. Um, so they're using, they're leveraging external oncology experts. Hi, it's me, I could do that, FDA, buy some of my time. Leveraging uh, external oncology experts and early career scientists to review this stuff. They have to be drugs that have uh, decades of use, multiple supportive clinical studies, and substantial post-marketing um, materials. And we'll talk about why not only is this important for current care, but it's also important to update the label for maybe, you know, maybe adding an indication that's commonly used, even if they're, even if no one has taken the effort to submit um, a, uh, to to say, get a new approval for a, a, you know, a doxorubicin regimen, because the way the FDA approves drugs is compared to their approved standard of care or a FDA-approved standard care, which is why we are still seeing CLL studies compared to chlorambucil. We'll do a specific example when we look through this. So uh, I want to go through some of the highlights of this uh, with uh, with capecitabine. So they added some updated indications or revisions to indications, nothing that seems unusual. And if you asked me, you know, a week ago, say, hey, list all the indications for capecitabine by the FDA, you know i wouldn't be very confident that my list would be accurate because i know when we use cape side mean we use a lot but knowing which ones are fda approved or not it, it doesn't matter because it's it's like common as water in oncology practices okay um so anyway cape side it's it's everywhere uh, they did approve and so now there is an fda approved dose it's a thousand milligrams per square bid in advanced breast cancer. That is that is the standard dose that we use, but was not an FDA-approved dose. The FDA-approved dose was 1250 milligrams per meter squared BID for two weeks on, one week off. Pretty standard for many other malignancies. In the United States, theoretically, uh, we believe uh, because of uh, the enriched folates in our diet, we do see more toxicity here than worldwide. And so folks routinely start at one gram per meter squared. Uh, so that dose is now in the label, right? And that's, that's a practical... Um, you know a low-hanging fruit change and you can see in the future the benefit of that let's say you have a, a, a new drug you're trying to bring to market uh, you're trying to supplant it uh, or put it into an algorithm or something like that and you're comparing it to capecitabine and you're comparing it to capecitabine 1250 milligrams per square that was the FDA dose that's probably what you'd have to do maybe in the eyes of the FDA and you might at the end of the day say our drug was just as safe as this other drug well capecitabine maybe was more toxic in a study using the, FDA, the old FDA-approved dose of 1,250 milligrams per meter squared BID, because that's higher than the dose we use here in the States, and that may make this uh, experimental arm look safer compared to of care than it is. So these updates, I think, are, are really important. Uh, severe renal impairment, defined here as a credit clearance of less than 30 mls per minute, used to be a contraindication in the label. So we, I think in practice, use the word contraindication too frequently. Contraindic- so you can break it out into absolute contraindications, relative contraindications. The FDA just says contraindicated. Boom, right? That's an absolute contraindication. Don't use it in these folks. And then there are relative contraindications, which are probably closer to the warnings, precaution statements, in the label. So uh, creatinine clearance less than 30 ml per minute is no longer contraindicated for capecitabine, um, what dose to do? Don't know, lower is what they say, but you have to monitor uh, these patients. And uh, so you can still use it in those folks with a creatinine clearance lesson 30 if the label says no other treatment options exist. There is now a, an added statement in the warnings precautions about the risks of crushed tablets. Um, so if tablets are crushed, um, there there are reports of eye irritation, swelling, diarrhea, paresthesias, really? Um, were they on Fulfox and they did it? And it was the oxaloid? I don't know, headache. Anyway, uh, patients shouldn't be splitting this or, or uh, crushing it, but there there are, you know, recipes to make uh, capsaicin solutions for patients who have trouble swallowing Oral dosage forms, that needs to be done by a pharmacist, uh, you know, with the goggles in the hood, uh, the way that we would make other things. Um, so there is a, a, a warning statement for that. There is some added information in Section 12, the clinical pharmacology section, the first section I often look at when I open a full uh, a full um, manuscript. So I'm going to go over some highlights that are in the new PI um, and not in the most recent updated PI, which I think is from 2015. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that. Um, so, in the, there's there is now a pharmacodynamic section in the Cape PI showing that increased 5FU area under the curve or increased 5FU exposure. Of course, 5FU is the, the active metabolite of, uh, of Cape Citibin. Well, yeah, Cape is a prodrug of 5FU, then 5FU has the active metabolites of F dump and F U T P. Anyway. Um, higher 5-FU AUC is correlated with grade 3 and 4 hyperbilirubinemia, which I did not know. It's now in the label, okay? Um, we also know, and this was something that we, was known, I think I talk about it in like the 5-FU um, uh, hallmarks or foundations of, of oncology pharmacy. Um, th- they talk about uh, if you gave Zolota to somebody, they were taking Zolota and they stopped it seven days before Surgery for colorectal cancer, that the concentration of 5FU in the tumor compared to surrounding healthy uh, cells was 2.9. Right, so the concentration of 5FU was three times higher, 2.9 is higher in the cancer cells than in other cells. All right. Now we always knew that the um, capecitabine to be converted to 5FU requires three enzymes, and, and some of those enzymes are in normal tissues but some of those enzymes are also at a higher concentration in the tumor cells because what do they need? They didn't make a lot of you know base pairs and, and nucleotides and things like that. So they're gonna have those, those enzymes at a higher rate to add um, uh, these to, uh, to phosphorylate you know, your uracil, for example, uh, and that is Fd, fluorodeoxy, uridine monophosphate, for example, and the FUTP, triphosphate, okay? So those enzymes are more prevalent in the cancer cells. So you do get a whole lot more of five if you deliver the cancer cells than the healthy tissue. Now, the, and that's why capesodipine really is, a, is, a, <laughs> is one of the more tolerated drugs that we have when you think of, you know, how many people are able to take every dose of every cycle. And, and for multiple cycles, it's, it's gonna be close to 100% than a lot of chemotherapy regimens. Now, um, and when you look at the warnings precautions of here, you're seeing the cardiotoxicity, and boy, it looks like a really toxic drug, and it's not untoxic or non-toxic, but it is well-tolerated, at least compared to many of its brethren in the oncology community. Now, the range of that ratio, this is a ratio, right? Concentration of the cancer cell compared to healthy cell. The range was 0.9 to 8. That's a very wide range, uh, and um, I would guess is probably, I would guess, predictive of of how well people do with capecitabine, uh, because you obviously want as much of that drug to get to the cancer cells and not the healthy cells. And that's why Vincent DeVita called 5-FU the first targeted drug years ago. Capecitabine, probably even more targeted than 5-FU because you're able to build up the dose over time. there is a warning in here that allopurinol may decrease conversion of capsidabine to the active metabolites F-Dump and FUTP. Um, I had not known that or had known it and forgotten. And it, it sent me on a whole big lit search for allopurinol capsidabine, didn't find much. Allopurinol 5-FU found a whole lot about trying to use allopurinol to, to increase the dose of 5-FU, There are several um, reports and even a couple studies of using an allopurinol mouthwash to either prevent or treat 5-FU-induced mucositis. Didn't seem to be helpful. Um, So is there a a clinically significant drug interaction with allopurinol and Don't know. Hasn't been studied. But if you have a significant gout population and it overlaps with your Colon cancer population or breast cancer population would be a fun retrospective thing to look at, potentially for a resident. But the big news from Project Renewal is that there is now a warning precaution statement, 5.2, about the risk of serious adverse reactions with dihydropyridine dehydrogenase deficiency, DPD, right? So that is the rate limiting step uh, in the breakdown of capecitabine and the gene that encodes for this protein is DPYD. Um, And so the label says, quote, Zolota is not recommended for use in patients known to have certain homozygous or compound heterozygous DPYD variants that result in complete DPD deficiency. So don't use it if they have certain mutations in DPYD gene. How do you know that? Well, it would be known is what they say. Not recommended for use in patients known to have it, but they're not calling to test for it. Right front. They say, quote, consider testing for genetic variants of DPYD prior to initiating Zalota. Consider testing. Question on Twitter came, does that mean the insurance is not going to be obligated to pay for this? I don't think so. They're probably more likely to because you could say, hey, the FDA label, like our, our legal benchmark to begin with says, consider doing it. All right. Who do you consider doing it in? Right. And why are they not calling for this. They, they're saying there's an increased risk of toxicity that can be fatal if you don't do this. Um, if these people have these these DPD deficiencies and you give them Uh it can be really serious. Well, they say, quote, an FDA-authorized test for the detection of genetic variants of DPYD to identify patients at risk of serious adverse events due to increased system exposure of capecitabine is not currently available. So there's not an FDA-approved test to detect this, they say. Now, there are lots of tests to do it, but they go on to say the available tests for DPYD variants vary variant in accuracy and design, i.e. which DPY variant, DPYD variants they test for, okay? The FDA, it, I'm not saying that they're saying this, but this is what it seems to me, is they are just begging for somebody to do a study to get... Uh, a lab test marketed as a companion diagnostic for use with capecitabine and then you would have to use it before prescribing capecitabine probably part of the label so it looks like they set the framework to do this Um, right now there's a huge i think it's yeah there's a there's a push whether it's a huge push there is a push to do dpyd testing before anybody gets five a few capecitabine Um, because you could prevent somebody from dying, and that's reason enough to do it. The cost of the test is going down year by year as we do more and more of this. Um, There is legal risk in not doing it um, because you could miss something that could lead to a sentinel event. Uh, There was one notable healthcare system that settled uh, for, I think it was a million dollars, which is a lot of money, Um, uh, you know, settled uh, a lawsuit out of uh, of court for this. And that, um, you know, if you think of, what is the cost of doing these tests? Um, is it going to be a million dollars in a year? I, I don't know. Maybe it is, but be some, besides the, the patient safety benefit, you're also mitigating some legal risk by doing it. Um, so now we're getting off into a different subject, away from Project X renewal for or project <laughs> project renewal uh, for Cape being here. Uh, but they they do have this here, and it's going to be really interesting to see if this change in language to consider testing if that moves the needle further towards doing it in all patients before they receive a fluoroprimidine. You know, most of these folks, this is not a drug that's used for acute leukemia. It's not a drug used for Burkitt lymphoma or large cell lymphoma. It's not a drug that needs to be uh, given, um, you know, planned to be given in a day or two. You can take a week or two to get your test results back in most cases before you're using a capecitabine regimen, especially with curative intent, um, for your adjuvant treatment, for, for colorectal cancer, uh, you know, especially. So, uh, or neoadjuvant in the case of rectal cancer. So, um, I, I'm really excited to see uh, what drugs we get next. Will it be a cisplatin, a doxorubicin? Um, you know, what will be, uh, you know, rituximab maybe? I don't know. What are, what are gonna be the, the, the project renewal agents we see next? Um, because this uh, provides a good talking point to revisit some of these drugs that we've talked about uh, as well in the, uh, in the old Foundations of Oncopharm episodes. Well, thank you all for listening. I'll have another pod uh, oh, a week after you hear this if you're a first-day listener um, going over uh, the, the new oncology approvals of the year at least up until today's date. As I mentioned before, FDA tends to really save a lot of their work for uh, December days that begin with 20 Um, So we'll go through those and do our gift uh, return, keep, or re-gift for all the new agents approved this year. Uh, As always, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.